Welcome to the Ridley College Chapel podcast. Our mission is to equip men and women for God's mission in a rapidly changing and increasingly complex world. For more information, visit ridley.edu.au. Second reading is from Philippians 2, 5 to 11. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I meant to bring something to your attention. It's not something that I talk about very much, but I've been reminded multiple times this week as I've prepared for chapel that really chapel is a safe space. I've been watching a fair bit of AFL recently, just trying to go about my life as normal and I feel quite affronted by what I perceive to be a growing trend, the mullet. (laughs) Joel told me to clarify at this point that I'm not talking about the fish. (laughs) No. This hair situation where people have this short haircut that just isn't finished at the back. People wear long hair at the back of their head, actually by choice. (laughs) Now, we all thought mullets would not return for good reason. And it would seem that Google agrees. When I Googled mullets, the first hit under the section titled, people also ask is, what is it with Australians and mullets? (laughs) I'm still reflecting on that answer. (laughs) But I have a hunch. Because there is one reason people get a mullet. Clearly not because they're practical or because they look good. (laughs) It's about image, not as in aesthetics, but image as in social standing. Now, I'm not sure if people say this anymore, but it's about the street cred. People are so driven by this street cred that they're willing to pay to wear their head like to wear their hair like a dead squirrel on their head, head actually by choice. I think it's mind-boggling. <laughs> but in all seriousness, the mullet example is just one small humorous example of some of the unbelievable things that people are willing to do to raise their social status or standing. Because this is part of the economy of the social networks of our world, right? And this social economy doesn't just apply to footy players or to young people, but some kind of social economy like this is present in every kind of human relationship at every age. And this is not just the state of our social networks. 
There are some unbelievable things that people are willing to do to make it in their career. Some people will compromise their morals, their friendships or their families in the pursuit of status. Oxford Languages defines status as relative social or professional position or standing. And we live in a culture that is soaked or saturated by concern for status. Concern for our own status, the status of our future or dreams, the status of our studies, of our families, or of our churches. It is so blindingly obvious that I think sometimes we can't actually see it. And in that way, our concern for status has enslaved us. But Jesus took the status of a slave to free us from slavery to status. Jesus radically reshapes the human relationship to status. Philippians 2, 6 to 11 is one of those theological pearls that you will cover many times in your time at college. You will exegete it, you'll cover it in theology, it will come up in your readings, and you'll hear chapel sermons on it. And there is so much to learn from this passage that it is worth mining in depth. But sometimes, in mining the theological depth of this passage... Or conversely, in just skimming over the familiar gospel words, we can miss the radical and confronting simplicity of the movement of this passage. This passage is a social statement. A statement about the social implications of the actions of Christ Jesus written to the church in status-conscious Philippi. In verse 6, Paul begins with a reminder that Christ is the pre-existent second person of the Trinity and is in nature God, inherently worthy of praise and glory and honour. Lift up your eyes and see the riches of the all-sufficient King seated on his throne in glory. See his scepter that stretches the expanse of unmeasured space. Hear him who holds all things together declare, all things are mine without exception. These lyrics from beautiful eulogies song Emmanuel remind us of the glory of the divine son now ruling. I think it is only when we lift up our eyes that we begin to understand the magnitude of the divine son choosing not to use his rightful status to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the nature of a servant. Verse 7. Jesus, being in nature God, takes the nature of a slave. The Greek word for servant in your translation here is doulos. Doulos meaning servant or slave. 
And this verse is the only time that Paul uses doulos to refer to Christ. We sanitize this in our English translations because somehow in English, Jesus taking the nature of a servant is slightly easier to stomach than Jesus taking the nature of a slave. But Paul is deliberately drawing our attention to this radical status reversal as Christ takes on human likeness. Not only does Christ not take advantage of the status which is his due, Christ become human in infant form. Only does Christ take the nature of a slave. Humiliates himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Verse 8. Crucifixion was a public death that magnified shame and mocked sensibility. As Fleming Rutledge states, to understand what crucifixion means, we have to look unblinkingly at its appalling qualities. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. Isaiah 52, 14. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Isaiah 53, verse 2 and 3. This is not just humility. This is humiliation, willingly chosen. This is an incomprehensible scandalous reversal of status. The infinite becomes infant. The divine becomes despised. And the Christ is crucified. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. If we had missed the gravity of that first sentence in our Philippians reading today, perhaps it sits with a bit more weight now. And I think it should. There is something profound about Jesus' radical reshaping of the human relationship to status found ultimately at the cross. And this passage pivots at the cross. Did you notice that the resurrection of Christ is implicit but not explicit in this passage? Dramatically, we move from Christ's humiliation, from his death on the cross, straight to his exaltation, to the highest place where he is given the name that is above every name, verse 9. 
Paul cuts from the cross right to the vindication of Jesus to highlight that it was the humble obedience of Jesus who took the status of a slave and was obedient to death on a cross that uniquely qualified him to be exalted to the highest place. And this exaltation is vindication as Christ is rightly bestowed the status which he did not use to his own advantage in verse 6. Make this incredibly clear. Paul bestows the name of the crucified Jesus with the honour due to the Lord Almighty in Isaiah 45, verse 22 and 23, which say, Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow, by me every tongue will swear. Here in our Philippian reading, it is at the name of Jesus by which the nations will turn and be saved. And at the name of Jesus that every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, and this to the glory of the Father. In the words of beautiful eulogy, here Paul really does paint the riches of the all-sufficient king seated on his throne in glory. Right in the middle of this passage, right in the middle of this image of glory is the cross, the crucified Christ. The cross, which is both the most, most radical example of Jesus' humility and the means to his exaltation and rule. Both the ultimate proof that Jesus reversed the expected human relationship to status and that his name has power to save. Jesus took the status of a slave to free us from slavery to status. Don't we risk making a mistake? Because when Paul instructs us in verse 5 that we are to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus in our relationships with one another, he isn't instructing us that we are to seek to be exalted to a higher place or to be vindicated to a place of rule or respect through our service. Even as I say these words, it's so obvious that that is not what Paul is instructing the Philippian, members of the Philippian church to do or to treat one another. And that this isn't the mindset that we are to have in our relationships with one another. Isn't it a very natural and culturally consistent thing to seek? Power, exaltation, status, respect even amongst our sisters and brothers in the church? I think it is. 
accepts Jesus took the status of a slave to free us from slavery to status. We are to recognise here in verse 10 that it is our knees that are bowing to the name of Jesus Christ, our crucified yet vindicated Lord. We are to approach this instruction to have the same mindset as Christ Jesus through the lens of the radical reversal that Jesus has to status. Because it's the cross, the ultimate example of Jesus' humility that is at the centre of this passage. And because these verses are used as an example of Paul's earlier instruction to the Philippian church in chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. What greater example of this humility do we have than our own Lord? When we practice this same mindset of radical humility in our relationships with one another, this is freedom from slavery to status for the Father's glory. And Jesus, who took the status of a slave, frees us from slavery to status, not just by leaving us the ultimate example of which we are to follow, of humility, but also because it is by his humble obedience to death on a cross that we turn to him to be saved. Jesus frees us from slavery to status because this humble obedience is the means by which Jesus becomes our Saviour and Lord, who equips us by his Spirit to grow to live with this kind of radical humility. Jesus took the status of a slave to free us from slavery to status. If we truly got this, differently would we live as leaders, as employees? If we truly got this, how differently would we relate to others in our social network? If we truly got this, how differently would we relate to ourselves, to our own unmet expectations or unfulfilled capacities? If we truly got this, how powerfully would our churches witness to those who are trapped as slaves to the relentless fraught and exhausting pursuit of status.